0: I know, I know
1: it's so cold. It's I know. So... Don't worry, everybody. Don't worry. We're safely indoors. Yes. I mean, we're experiencing some frigid seventy degree temperature here in California. It's just it's too much. It's too much I sometimes. I know. The sun was out the other day. It was scorching our pasty white skin. We couldn't take it. I know. And then today, I like looked and it was overcast, just a little bit for like a few hours, and I was like, I can't handle this. Mother Nature is so bipolar. I know. Ugh. Day ruined. <laughs> I can't go to the beach today. Now, Not exactly. Oh, the beaches are still open. I guess that's nice. But you know. yeah, well, I mean, I live in San Diego, so you have to, you know, you have to look at the weather report and then you have to look at the sewage report and see if you know the beaches are good that day. Yep, this is. These are the. These are the terrible travails that we have to experience every day living in Southern California. You know? Yes so (laughs) anyway we hope you enjoy our show it's called the aspiring snobs (laughs) podcast i hope this isn't the first time you've listened to us otherwise you've got a terrible impression of us (laughs) we were trying to be flippant to uh our our fellow people who live in new england which where we were originally from so (laughs) (laughs) haha we got out yeah exactly suckers (laughs) we apologize of course our hearts go out to anybody who's in the freezing cold we hope uh we hope for a warm-up soon Greg, you're you're so concerned about being politically correct. Okay, <laughs> I'm real. Okay, uh, did that factor into our movie choice this week, John? You know, I just wanted to really stick it to the libtard <laughs> snowflakes out there. So this week, I decided, already I'm cringing, already, like, <laughs> if only there were a camera on me, just, I'm, I'm in the fetal position now, ready to just stop the recording, like, everyone to shut it down. <laughs> so this week, we decided, in honor of the most politically correct of all holidays, MLK Day, we revisited Selma. As
0: long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Those that have gone before us say, No more, no No more. 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 That means protest, that means march, that means disturb the peace, that means jail, that means risk, and that is hard. not any longer give us the vote That's right. no more are not asking where the give, us the give us the vote
1: actually yeah m- a lot of people might not know this next Monday on the mm-hmm. Wednesday that I should night, hope this. they know it if they don't know it then screw them exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but uh, through a quirk in the calendar uh, MLK day falls in the earliest it can possibly fall the 15th <laughs> Third Monday of uh, the January, and yet the blacks still complain. I do. <laughs> Again, John, come on. Let's <laughs> let's be, let's be serious here. Okay, fine. I'm just trying. I'm trying to add some levity. I'm trying to throw a little irony in there. I I guess yeah. Because this is obviously, we're discussing one of the greatest Americans ever to set foot on the on our continent. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Martin Luther the King. <laughs> yep. Junior. This that's true. Oh, I forgot <laughs> Junior. Right, Junior. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> again, <laughs> again, I want to approach the subject matter sensitively. Because we actually okay. cover a, a lot of very like bitey, or uh very tragic events leading up to the this historic march on Selma. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, some of which I wasn't even aware of, so I'm thankful mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I was made aware by the movie. Mm-hmm. Um however we do have to kinda judge the movie, so um <laughs> that's what we're gonna be discussing here. Mm-hmm. Is uh, this film called Selma? And uh, any judgments or criticisms we have against it, again, it's solely on this two hour or this uh, uh, 130 minute movie, it's not on the <laughs> wonderful uh, contributions to civil and voting rights that Martin Luther King and John Lewis and all the others made. And if you're complaining about that, well, you're just a cuck and <laughs> you just can't handle my realness, okay? No, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag pizza. I game. mean, John. Anyway. I mean. <laughs> John, it's ridiculous. All right, we're just making jokes, and if they're true, how can they be offensive? <laughs> anyway, John, this is our this was our first time seeing this movie, even though it's a few years old. Mm-hmm. And normally we don't do movies this recent, but we thought, why not? Because again, yeah, we well, want we want something. to honor the life of Martin Luther King. So, mm-hmm. and also uh, the director Ava DuVernay, her her star is rising, so we want to catch her, see yeah, see where she came from. Yeah, both on social media and in the, now the, uh, Disney Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> they just swallow you whole. Exactly. Disney, and, it while you, while they can uh, still forward you. Ryan Coogler, him and, or sorry, her and Ryan Coogler, uh, another prominent young, uh, African-American filmmaker <laughs> who cut his teeth, uh, in independent movies, but now has been swallowed up by the <laughs> Disney monolith. <laughs> <laughs> what else has he directed? Uh, well, other than Creed, if you remember Creed, mm-hmm. um, do you remember this movie called Fruitvale Station?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, right. a,
1: he's a frequent collaborator, Michael B. Jordan. and um... Okay. Sweet. Yeah. All right. But anyway, on to the film. Uh, uh, yes. Honestly, we're delaying enough. John, <laughs> what did you think of Selma? And just remember, uh, any criticisms just show that you're a horrible, virulent racist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought this was a very fine movie. I thought it was very good. It's very well done. It's ambitious in its scope. And, uh, I just don't know if it's good enough to be considered a classic and I don't know if it reaches over the hurdle of being more than just seventh grade history teacher is tired one day. So he just throws this on for the class. Uh, (laughs) like I gotta say, yeah, for like substitute teaching, Mm -hmm. like, uh, a huge A plus grade there. I <laughs> yes. think this is a great kind of summation of history, and I, I think I appreciate it a little bit more than you do mm-hmm. in terms of I think the quality of film. But you're right; I share the same kind of reservations in that uh, this is a this is a dramatization of a of a of what is a great life, and so mm-hmm. like if you're going to dramatize it, like your greatness like really has to reach that level. Like again, this material demands like greatness on the level of Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite raise to that, I don't think. No, and. Obviously, this movie did not get the uh, attention from the Academy that many people would have hoped for. It didn't win a lot of Oscars. It wasn't nominated for a lot of Oscars. And I do think that's a little unjust because this movie does kind of scream awards beatty to me. And I think that's why I didn't really fall in love with it. Because, again, it feels very calculated. And while I do kind of admire it is trying to shine a light on some forms of on some aspects of history that we don't really know about. It does trying to play with these shades of gray shades of gray, ironically, because it's a black film. Uh, just, it's not a black film, John There's white <laughs> actors in it too. It's an important historical document, John. Okay. I apologize. But yeah, I just, I don't know if it's like as great as people have said it was. And that's kind of what we're, where we usually fall when we talk about movies on this podcast is like, how, how do we like, kind of give an even keel assessment of a film yeah and i i will say fairness i'll I'll pick up on one point you said um mm-hmm. with the uh, again we don't want to flippantly say like you know this is just a history lesson but i gotta say as somebody who's not well versed on the on the historic march to selma i didn't know about a lot of the events that kind of led up to it um, no, for yeah. instance the murder of jimmy lee jackson or of james reeb Mm-hmm. So those are chronicled in the story leading up to that historic march. Again, I wasn't aware of the, the kind of, you know, ugliness and that's going on here. Uh, however, that I, so I appreciate it from that perspective. However, I'm also looking at it as a cinephile, somebody mm-hmm. who's seen like over th- almost a thousand movies. Mm-hmm. And so, and also within a cultural context of now, this is not a historical document. What it really is is part of a like a, the biographical film industrial complex, <laughs> just, and Hollywood just turning them out to get awards attention to make money. Yeah. So I I'm kind of cynically seeing it through that lens too. Mm-hmm. And it does at at times it does not try to lionize Martin Luther King that much. It does kind of again, like I said, shades of gray. It does try to kind of paint him as Kind of a bit of a tragic hero occasionally, but also, you know, imperfect. And one of the things I love about this movie is this exploration of perspective and kind of spectacle. Okay. The fact that we're kind of left a question like, is Martin Luther King doing what's best for the movement? Or is he doing what's best for optics? And that's a debate mm-hmm. that every character in this movie is kind of constantly having. And I think that's the strongest aspect of the movie is. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about JFK. And one of the things I hated about JFK is the fact that, like, nothing that the characters ever do is questioned. Everything that they, like, every aspect of their lives is morally kind of righteous. Every, yeah, every assertion they make is just assumed to be correct. mm -hmm. (laughs) There's never anybody, nobody's ever challenged or anything like that, you know. mm -hmm. And not that the, you know, obviously, (laughs) Martin Luther King Jr. and the Freedom Riders were on the right side of history, no doubt. But it shows the kind of internal conflicts and the struggles that they experienced. And this idea that, like, is Martin Luther King doing this for all the right reasons? But obviously, he was. Yeah. But it also... <laughs> no, is he... Yeah, is, is, is it the correct methodology? Because there is um, there's some touch. There's one scene devoted to Malcolm X wanting to join their movement. hmm And that you have to go in and know, okay, these are two men seeking the same thing. However, they're, they have wildly different approaches to it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, uh, Martin Luther King being, uh, demonstrating peaceful protest, uh, uh, Malcolm X taking a more militant approach. Exactly. And also you have this, uh, other group called SNCC. I don't know exactly what that stands for. That's (laughs) strangely one of the things the movie doesn't explain. Um, (laughs) no, they, they do. I was, we'll touch on the exposition later, but I do think they, they spell it out. It's like the Southern League or, of, um. And uh, they spell it out and like, oh, yes, SNCC. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I missed that So part. we'll get to, yeah, we'll get to the clunky exposition later. But anyway. Yeah, what, exactly. What, whatever you're going to say. Yeah. But, I mean, they're trying to get all these disparate groups of black activists together to kind of agree mm-hmm. and do these kind of wide, kind of extravagant protest marches. And But they all kind of disagree. They all have different forms of methodology that they want to a scribe and like watching the kind of struggles and the interpersonal conflicts does give this movie kind of a great kind of hefty weight and kind of interesting intellectual note that I think it would have been a lot easier if the movie was just kind of like, no, they're self-righteous. Like everything they do is like perfect. And everything was just, you know, you had these, you know, perfectly dignified, fine black men and these evil sneering racists. (laughs) Not that this movie doesn't have evil sneering racists. Of course it does, but you know, Uh, it does, it has a very kind of more ambiguous note to it than I think it could have been. That's true. Um, I guess, again, since this is part of the uh, biopic industrial complex, Mm -hmm. it's very analogous to a movie that came out two years prior, Lincoln, which Mm -hmm. was about, um, again, Lincoln trying to sign the Emancipation Proclamation and the whole process he had to go through, how much compromise he had to go through. Yeah. And it's very similar here. We have Martin Luther King. It starts with him uh, accepting his Nobel Peace Prize However, those little touches of you know how how uncommitted he seems to his family life when he's you know still fighting for civil rights, mm-hmm. and then in a meeting with uh, President Johnson. And how he says like I I signed the now you want me to do a Voting Rights Act I just signed the Civil Rights Act like I've I've got compromise so you're right it does there I just wish those portions were just like a a little more detailed and <laughs> really just uh maybe maybe a little more accurate like this is where I feel like again we use the seventh grade analogy like it feels like the seventh grade version of history when really we could have gotten into the weeds like you know why exactly was LBJ like so reluctant to sign this well, like. And well he has a he has an intractable congress you know he mm-hmm. i don't think he's been he's is i think this was in an election year for instance you know yeah. things like that don't really come up instead it's just like a, instead it's more kind of the surface level of like you know Martin Luther King saying I want the voting acts voting acts right uh voting, voting right. rights act <laughs> now <laughs> and LBJ saying no I can't sign it right now <laughs> exactly like we just passed the equal rights act like you know mm-hmm. we can't be, keep doing this you know forever um nice. Which again seems (laughs) ridiculous, but (laughs) hearing it now, but um, yeah, it's again, it's interesting that the movie chooses to explore the level of shrewdness that there are on all sides. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the interesting lines is again, one of the things that this movie focuses on is um, Martin Luther King's family life. And Credit Scott King makes the comment that, you know, you've held back from us a lot because of the optics. Mm-hmm. like you have to be a saint you have to be a humble person and, I th- and you've kind of made us suffer because of that and that's a powerful scene right there to like kind of show the toll that you know this Martin Luther King being this kind of saint, this lionized figure has taken on not just him but also his whole family
0: Mrs. King, I mean no disrespect I come
1: with great respect for your husband
0: I have no army behind me anymore I have myself and the truth. That is all I stand on today. You've said disrespectful things in the past, Minister. See, I'll understand why there is some alarm here tonight. I do. I understand that. Your husband and I, we do not see exactly eye to eye on how to achieve progress for the black man. And yes, I have been piercing in my critiques of nonviolence. But because we don't agree, Mrs. King, does not mean that I am the enemy. What do you intend to say to these people, then, sir? A lot of work has been done here, and I don't intend to see it undone tonight. Yeah,
1: um, I will agree. Like the best film is when uh, Coretta Scott King confronts Martin Luther King with his infidelity. That is true, and it doesn't—it doesn't play a lot as much as I thought it would. Like mm-hmm. um, there was a bi—biography biographical film years ago about Babe Ruth and it was all about his philandering. It wasn't really about his on baseball achievements, all about, you know, mm-hmm. tearing down. It was a very iconoclastic movie. Yeah, Tabloid. And, and I thought salacious. that's what this would be. Yeah. Well, no. I, 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 I but the other important aspect of that was the only reason she found out is because the FBI was spying on him the whole time. And again, that also makes an important point that a lot of not a lot of people realized that the FBI was keeping tabs on Martin Luther King and trying everything they could to kind of get him to stop to stop him from being an instigator because the FBI was run by vehement racist J. Edgar Hoover. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Probably my favorite aspect of the movie Mm -hmm. is that little framing device. Um, Oh, the Just little thing. yeah, the little clacking of the uh, typewriters. Yeah, so um, basically to set the scene, they have the little FBI memos tracking exactly where uh, Martin Luther King and other you know members of of his uh, civil rights movement are, like because mm-hmm. they're being tracked by the FBI. Mm-hmm. And I thought that is genius. That like uh, <laughs> congratulations, Mr. Verne. That is something I'm gonna write about an essay about in film school because not only does it work as exposition, like okay now we know where we are in the scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Not
1: only does it fit history because the FBI was really um, covering them where they were. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was also great thematically and how it puts us, how that we're kind of like voyeurs in this situation as audience, as yeah, uh, moviegoers. True. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like we're, we're now in the place of the FBI. We're standing and looking in judgment of the civil rights movement, much in the same way, like, you know, viewers look at a movie. Now we're suddenly voyeurs, like kind of like, you know, participants on the sideline. And it literally like puts audiences in the same place that the fbi was Mm -hmm. and i thought that is a brilliant that is just a a a brilliant stylistic you know functional choice that that she that the movie makes i thought i was i was kind of floored by that so (laughs) again you can read more about it in my slate piece that i'll write (laughs) (laughs) no you're right and it's done subtly enough that it's you know Mm -hmm. not too overbearing yeah mm-hmm. even though so you know, again perfect. with the yeah, sound effects choice. and the you know uh the typographical elements it's very interesting mm-hmm. very well done. yeah yeah so perfect choice but you you want to talk about <laughs> jay <Edgar> hoover <laughs> i well it's just the again and maybe it adds to the whole kind of like oscar Beatty aspect to the film but mm. like they get just the most character actors they can <laughs> to fill these <laughs> roles and it just doesn't feel like the casting was spot on for like Like Dylan Baker. Love him to death. Great actor. (laughs) He really should not be playing J. Edgar Hoover, and Tom Wilkinson should not be playing LBJ.
0: <laughs>
1: that, that was not as bad as I thought it was going to be, because <laughs> uh, for those you, you'll recognize Tom Wilkinson t- from his other roles, like uh, like the Full Monty and things like that. Mm-hmm. but he's, he's a scenery chewer, you know he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a character actor you'll recognize not only from his face but also his, uh, his enthusiasm, let's say. <laughs> and I thought he was going to turn uh, LBJ into a cartoon character, and it's, it's a little more subtle than that. Well, I mean, LBJ was a living cartoon characters yeah, that's true <laughs> it's that's hard true. Not they not didn't to, touch yeah. on yeah they didn't touch on um, him talking him farting or talking about a scrotum or something <laughs> google, google that actually don't don't google that <laughs> lbj scrotum <laughs> oh wow <laughs> lots of results yeah but you're you're right i again i didn't like it like casting wise it's kind of distract it's kind of a distraction mm-hmm like just looking at the casting, because again, character actor Dylan Baker looks nothing like uh, Jake or Hoover. And then you have Tim Roth as George Wallace, which yeah, another he does British op- actor. <laughs> we yeah. should yeah, we should say this is a this is an American production, but it's populated almost entirely by by an English cast. Exactly. <laughs> Tom Wilkinson, uh, Tim Roth, and of course, we haven't even mentioned him yet. I thought he would be the first thing we mentioned. Uh, David Aiello as Martin Luther King. <laughs> he's also British, but again, he does the be- he's the best part of the film. I think he's giving a great performance. He's giving him this nice kind of like subtlety and this great kind of like weight on his shoulders. The interesting thing about the movie is I found is that this contrast between these quiet, almost stagey, very play-like scenes, you know, where two characters mm -hmm. are conversating and it's very deliberately paced, you know, between the beats. And then we build up to the dramatic moments like the protests or the Mm -hmm. kind of like montages we get of police beating people. And I thought it was kind of a great contrast and a great, way the movie uh keeps up the pace keeps up the kind of excitement but yeah uh, to get back to the whole kind of casting Tim Roth does an okay job I'll give him that <laughs> <laughs> Well no it's because it's like again like George Wallace is kind of again like a physical cartoon character you could actually you know do but I think he does try <laughs> yeah, to but Tim, R- Tim Roth's a handsome man is the issue I guess that's true <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. Only 85% was I like, why is Tim Roth cast in this movie? <laughs> As opposed yeah. to 100% of the time I was thinking, why is Tom Wilkinson cast in this movie? Yeah, I, again, maybe it's because the British actors were available, better trained, and less expensive than American, <laughs> American actors. But Fair enough. Um, I'm going to dispute you on another point. like Tim Roth not being not being good enough. And I was also going to say the staging. Mm. Because there are scenes where like literally like it starts like two people like again just sitting in a wide shot or something like that. It's really kind of conventionally filmed, like, okay, we have establishing shot, then cut like back and forth in these mm. conversations and Yeah. There and it it does feel it does feel very artificial and deliberate. And that those aspects of the movies I really did not like because yeah. again, Going off the expectation of history, this was a this was a tremendously courageous movement, and and the movie like should reach that level of greatness, and like to do it in such an artificial way, I thought was a huge disservice to it. Um. See, no, because again, I think that kind of for me that kind of set up more of the contrast where it's like the protest scenes, the outdoor scenes, again. Going back to that whole theme of optics, those are exciting. Those are dramatic. The music is blaring and, you know, like Mm -hmm. the camera is shaking and, you know. Well, it really delivers on the drama and the the violence that actually occurred, yeah. Yeah, but again, like, I think that the behind-the-scenes scenes scenes needed to be stagey because, again, they are just conversations (sighs) in back rooms. So that's why I, I think it worked for me. I don't know. It just it, it felt fake.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I didn't want I
1: didn't want it to feel fake. Again, I wanted to be wrapped up in this important history and it just didn't ha- it it distanced me from that. It distracted me from that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I I not that. only the staging but also some of the writing in those scenes. <laughs> Because I, while we had the little FBI memos to kinda of set the scenes when we when we have um SNCC meeting with MLK, meeting with John Lewis and all these kind of important meetings, uh we didn't have those for the meetings in the Oval Office or with the FBI. So instead we have like um what do you want, FBI Director J Edgar Hoover? Well Mr President I'll tell you what I want. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yes, very, yeah. very kind of stagey. And maybe again, it's that's meant meant to set up a contrast. When we see these politicians doing their backhanded deals, it's very cold. It's very distant. It's very robotic. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. you have uh, Martin Luther King. And all his kind of compatriots, when they're all meeting together, it's very warm. It's very friendly. That first scene where they're all kind of like getting together, it's, you know, they're having a meal together. Someone's prepared with them food and they're all, you know, taking jabs at each other, how fat they're all getting. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) maybe that's, maybe again, that's an intentional contrast. Okay. Yeah. But again, it it kind of took me out of the movie, mm. yeah. or at least like put put me at arm's length in the history. Like I thought the intention would be to absorb me in the importance of this fight that they had for civil rights, and instead it like you know instead it just reminded me like you know this is a biopic literally designed to win awards. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not so. that it's not telling an important story, obviously this is a no. story worth telling. Yeah. It's just ugh, how how do you make it more compelling? How do you I, make I it know. well? How, how do you make it feel less dry? <laughs> yes.
0: Ooh. There are no words to soothe you, Mr. Lee. God was the first to cry. He was the first to cry for your boy.
1: Yes, happily, then. Well, I, there was one point I was going to make where I think it does a, a huge disservice to history. Oh, yeah? And that is um, again, there's no easy way to bring this up, but um, the film depicts the Bur- the. Uh, now infamous or like horribly tragic Birmingham church bombing. Oh gosh, yes, that scene is yes. so out of place. It, and yeah, so well, over. Yeah, the top. so it, in case anybody doesn't know, yes, a, a church, uh, a black church in Birmingham, was intentionally bombed, and four little girls lost their lives. And you, you, and, you know, you, like the, it, the, it doesn't set up the scene at all. But you know exactly where this is heading. Like yeah, all of a so, sudden, the movie cuts to a bunch of kids in a church you have no sense of time or place of where it is but you know exactly this is where it's leading up to yeah and so it's it's kind of delivered as a jump scare like you know it, th- it, while we're talking cinematic terms mm-hmm. and then it's it's basically treated as the the catalyst for mm-hmm. Martin Luther King wanted to demand the voting rights act mm-hmm. but again this this one of the one of the most tragic events in american history and it's kind of just treated as a plot point you don't really feel the impact of it no, and, I, and, I and it, 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 to me, it just felt—it just felt like it, it really cheapened it, and I was really offended. Yeah, because all the other kind of tragic scenes we get, well, like a lot of people die in this movie unfairly. Well, yeah, so at it, the so it also depicts racists. kind of, uh, yeah, equally tragic moments. Like again, like let's say the murder of um Jimmy Lee uh, Jackson. There's mm-hmm. a there's a march at night,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the march gets ambushed. Again, going back to optics, you know, this is the perfect time for the police to you know do their brutality because there's no cameras, mm-hmm. and. There's a whole family of black protesters who kind of like run off and escape and try to like take refuge in a restaurant. Police bust mm-hmm. in and shoot one of them, just point yeah. blank in the chest. Yeah. In addition to beating um, two other elderly members of the family. Mm-hmm. Now that that depiction, like you feel that impact because later because it it draws um, Martin Luther King back to Selma. Mm-hmm. He comfort he comforts the uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson's father. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like there you feel the impact and you feel like how it's really propelling this moment in history forward.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas the treatment of this Birmingham bombing, like again, I was I was just offended on how it really just... No, yeah, there's no context for it. We're just dropped yeah. right into this. Mm-hmm. And the way it does, like the way they do portray it does feel a little exploitative. Yeah. At, oh, that's, yeah, that's definitely the word. So mm-hmm. while well, I give... Well, I give Ava DuVernay something, or the filmmakers like some credit. Like this, this one, like really, like if I don't know, skip (laughs) skip ahead through it. I just, it's a it's a huge disservice to this moment. Yeah, but I guess it's like it's it's weird to criticize it for that because obviously that scene is meant to make you feel uncomfortable. Well, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Because I was I was uncomfortable way before the bomb went off because I knew what was going to happen. I guess we haven't. I one thing I guess we haven't given enough credit to David Aiello as Martin Luther King. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, were there any other though performances that really stood out? Um, I think Coretta Scott King as played by I, I'm gonna butcher this name, but uh, Cameron Ajago as Coretta Scott King. Right. I think mm-hmm. does well with how much screen time she's given. I wish the movie maybe focused a little bit more on that kind of relationship, because again that all that stuff works like gangbusters. Again, I'm glad that the movie explores it, but I wish it kind of became more of a central theme of the movie. Yeah, because we I, one of my other most memorable scenes is um, first when Martin Luther King has been holed up for a uh, not a, not quite a sit-in but a protest mm-hmm. and a lawful protest, and um, I, like that's an interesting scene there between bars pretty much, and mm-hmm. um, it, basically Malcolm X has come to her and they have some discussion there. That's a good scene. They have like great chemistry there, and the other one is when. Uh, he confront or she confronts Martin Luther King with his infidelity, mm-hmm. and and w- when we talk about contrast, it's, it's just a credit to Aiello's performance in that you know we see what a great orator he is and how he can deliver speeches with the same gravity as the real life Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And then in the scene, all he can say is like, uh, just, "No," <laughs> <laughs> or she she confronts him with like, "Do you still love me?" And just, you know, long pause, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, suddenly, suddenly he's completely disarmed and at a loss for words. This great order. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a hard time kind of praising a lot of performances in this movie because, again, they they fill it with so many character actors, and that, that was that was one thing. Yeah, what kind of where I was leading to because like not only was it like Tim Roth and and Tom Wilkinson, but also like uh, Common. Yeah, Common makes an appearance. Like his his costume says more than he does though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Because I don't know what it represented. It was the, like a jean, yeah, hat. it was like
1: a jean jacket over overalls and a um, and a hat. I'm, I'm not sure what it represented though, and I wish maybe maybe I need to look it up. But um, <laughs> there was that, and there's also <laughs> there's also one very distracting scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. and Martin Sheen have a dialogue. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, gosh, I forgot
1: about that. Why, <laughs> like again, it's literally like half a scene. I guess we also get Cuba yeah, Gooding Jr. Just... in the courtroom, but it's like why would you why would you need to cast? Because the other thing too is like it's hard to praise this movie based on the performances because like the really good performances don't stand out. They feel naturalistic. One of my favorite actors, Wendell Pierce is in this movie and he does a great job because he's great in everything. Mm Because again, he doesn't like Not that he doesn't stand out, but it's like he's not trying to, like, ham it up and show, like, look, I'm here, I'm a character actor, (laughs) you know, whereas everyone else, like Oprah Winfrey, you know, playing the Oprah Winfrey role, which is, you know, the, I'm trying to vote, good sir, I'm an old matriarchal lady, (laughs) don't be distracted by the fact that I'm a billionaire. (laughs) Yeah, trying to... Yeah, again, like playing pretend. This is supposed to have the gravity of history behind it. Instead, we're watching, you know, Oprah play pretend, you know, pretty much.
0: (laughs) You work for Mr. Dunn down at the rest home. Ain't that right? Yes, sir. wonder what old Dunn will say when I tell him one of his gals down here stirring a fuss. I ain't stirring no fuss. I'm just here trying to register the vote. Recite the Constitution's preamble. You know what a preamble is? We the people of the United States. In order to form a more perfect union. How many county judges in Alabama? Sixty seven. Maybe.
1: But you're right. The other, the other credit, I was, I was totally shocked by this. I was going to say, who delivers a really good performance is Giovanni Ribisi. <laughs> Um, As presidential advisor, did you recognize him? Because he got this I No, his, I no, I recognized him. I couldn't get past the performance because of that terrible hairpiece. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not a yeah, it's not a great. He's he's playing Lee White, who was a presidential advisor, and yeah, he's the man was bald. Giovanni Berci is not though. So yeah, so they, they do like this bad comb-over wig thing. Yeah. Also, the sexual um, assault allegations were very distracting. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know he was implicated in that. But <laughs> you learn something. You learn a new person every day. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Like uh, Giovanni Rubisi usually hams it up or tries to stand out in some way, but here he's, again, very grounded, and it's more memorable for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even like Stephen Root, who's like the characterist of all character actors, <laughs> he has a role playing the Stephen Root role, which is just like in the background for a few scenes going like, I'm Stephen Root. You know, I'm putting on a southern affect. You know, it's just... Just It took me out of it, unfortunately. I t- well, no, he wasn't demanding a stapler. I mean, give him credit <laughs> for that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> for those that don't know, Stephen Root played... uh, What's his name? Mil- uh, in Milton. Office Space. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think you have my stapler. Yeah. But again, like... every is playing a, a racist <laughs> Alabama sheriff. <laughs> but I feel like that's the role he always plays in, like, Coen Brothers movies, too. Uh, that's true, yeah. Kind of, like, adjacent to the action. Like always mm-hmm. meeting with another character and always has like a kind of southern affect. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're just thinking of No Country for Old Men. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Okay, shut up. <laughs> God, we're getting real nitpicky here. Yeah, indeed, we are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the I hair mean, pieces were off, and the costumes. What's going on with the costumes? <laughs> no, John. We just we should just say because of the of the um, transcendent moments that it that it depicts, we should say the movie is transcendent. Therefore. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What did you think of the uh, music? I, I can scarcely think of the music, really. I, I guess because again, it's part of the, it's background noise. It, the music was never really spotlighted until until the the song at the very end, which won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of the few things that the Academy did choose to recognize about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that was the only movement because the rest of it is kind of like wall the wall. Exposition, except for the except for the march scenes themselves, where nobody's really talking. Exactly. So none of the music to me like really stood out. See, I thought the music was like again getting real nitpicky. I thought it was just like a little too on the nose. I know it's like appropriate, but almost like too appropriate. It's the music is mostly kind of like classic Motown or kind of like Southern revival, black church kind of hymnal music, and. Again, very appropriate, given the subject matter, but it took me out of it a little bit. Like, I don't know, I was... Like, is it too much to complain that a movie be, like, a little more creative? I don't know. No, no, I I guess, again, like, I the The civil rights movement, you know, was a was a transcendent moment in mm. American history. Yeah. So shouldn't the film like kind of reach those heights, or should we expect the film to reach those heights? Mm-hmm. And you're right. I I think maybe if there is like a sin we can cast against this movie is is that it's not challenging enough. Like yes, it does touch on you know some of the seamier aspects of Martin Luther King, like his infidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it does give credence to uh lbj who in spite of his racism you know (laughs) was was trying to compromise like obviously he had you know civil rights in his mind but he had to compromise things like that Mm -hmm. um but yeah like maybe it can in in a few places it can just be a little more challenging it can just be a a little bit you know be a little bit bolder and then we can call this a classic for now it's just part of like a you know really good really respectful you know history of uh biopics. Okay. So that's that's how It I does hurt to up, say. Yeah. It does hurt to say because yeah, no, there's yeah. a lot to like about this movie. Mm-hmm. But and I don't want to sound like we're just dismissing it as another biopic. But again, you you nailed it right on the head. It doesn't transcend itself enough. Again, yeah, again, the march on Selma deserves greatness and mm-hmm. the movie doesn't quite reach it. So. Yeah. One
0: day when the glory comes here will be a be out oh one day when the war is won we will be sure we will be sure wow oh, glory. glory glory oh
1: glory glory Pity. sorry sorry everybody <laughs> Oprah's gonna hear this and destroy us. I know. Oh boy. Yeah. Ugh. Well, thank you for listening to our final episode. <laughs> yeah. This sucks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, maybe we can bring him back. Oh, how? How? Do you have a recommendation? I, I, I've got. An, I've got an idea, what? John. What, what, what? We've never done this before. <laughs> okay. And by never, I mean we've done it every time. And that's spotlight. 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 spotlight.
0: It's time, Robbie. It's time.
1: Well, John, I, I, by coincidence, I actually have the perfect spotlight in that it's a it's a film that also depicts an important moment in uh in world history well in another country's history.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I think just ca- just dramatizes it just a little bit better than Selma. Okay, and that's the movie No. Yes? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I know. yeah. So, so the movie is called no. i'm I'm familiar t- with it. I'm picturing the poster right now. <laughs> honestly. Yes. <laughs> Well, I thought you—I thought you'd really appreciate this movie because it's really about uh, advertising and design. Okay, <laughs> and I think that's what you stand out like uh, the what you're picturing is the no and the um, o oh overlaps the n, so it's designed a little bit. You can see there's some intention, exactly. and I know you love—I know I know you love to show that you're a designer and that this was this was intentionally done. Well, I don't mean—I to know it's because you did my book cover, so <laughs> I don't mean to brag, but yes, I'm a world-class <laughs> graphic designer, very good at what mm-hmm. I do. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, anyway. We're getting off track. Uh, no depicts the 1988 referendum that basically dethroned Augustus Pinochet from his dictatorship in Chile. Ugh, um, this old chestnut again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, around the late 80s, uh, the international community and a few businesses were like, hey, uh, you, don't need, you don't need to explain this to me, but yes, for the sake of the audience, please explain. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, in the late 1980s, the international community and a few companies were looking at Chile and just being like, hey, Pinochet, it looks like you're running a dictatorship here. Not cool. <laughs> and Pinochet was like, what? Me? No. I'm not running a dictatorship. Here, I'll prove it to you. I'll run a referendum or a plebiscite. I just wanted to repeat that word, plebiscite because I learned it the other day. <laughs> Sounds like a dinosaur. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> but well, it was basically a referendum where uh, listen i'll put it up to the i'll put it up to the, the people of chile whether they want me in power if you're a positive happy person you'll vote yes for another 8 years of uh, pinochet in power <laughs> or if you're a negative nancy you'll vote no and i guess we'll put a new parliamentary government in yeah whatever <laughs> and so uh, the film follows a, a fictionalized uh, advertising executive played by gil garcia bernal mhm um, who's hugely successful and hugely good at, at and and great at what he does um, but he gets kind of lured in he's kind of on the fa- like he doesn't care either way mm-hmm. about you know which way the election goes he thinks you know oh, the ruling party will you know just rig the vote or just you know stay in power anyway but he's recruited by the no faction
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to basically say like hey can you help us out with this campaign because also like um on national tv the yes and the no side only had 30 minutes each to uh, make their case Okay. So they said, like, hey, Gail Garcia Bernal, please um, please lend your advertising expertise. And when he first goes to the no, the uh, the no party, let's just call them the no party. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but this uh, democratic side of Chile, it's all about all the the atrocities that uh, Pinochet has committed over the years. Um, but he has the brilliant idea of, like, no, let's apply modern positive advertising techniques uh, to the no movement. And so uh, he basically turns the movement into a, a Coca-Cola commercial that really tracks and draws, like, young people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I th- I think it's great, um, not only from that aspect, but in comparing it to Selma, uh, we do get to see a little bit more of the home life. I think one of the great scenes is, like, very early on, we see he has this very successful advertising pitch. And then he goes home with his son. His wife is actually actually is a revolutionary and um, like uh, has like short prison stints because of her protesting. Okay. Um, but he's at home actually playing with a toy mm-hmm. with his son, and his and his. And his son is like, Dad, why are you playing with this? And he's like, Well, I have to advertise with it, and so like it's a great little <laughs> contrast. where the son is son is telling off his father, like all you're doing is playing with uh, a toy train or whatever. It's like, No, I'm I'm using the product so that I can advertise it properly. <laughs> the son is and demonstrating then, that he's more mature than his father. <laughs> yeah, and I I also really buried the lead. Uh, what makes this movie really distinctive? is that it looks like it was shot in 1988 in that it was literally filmed on vh on videotape. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that, that it's a it's a kind of like jarring choice at first. It's like it's like really weird. It looks like you're looking at a home movie.
0: Hmm.
1: However, um what's brilliant is that it can it like you, it literally integrates footage from the events of 1988, whether it's um, you know Pinochet's government trying to break up a protest or you know other movements in the street, and you literally don't know whether you're watching the dramatization with Gael Garcia Bernal and fictional act and and actors, or you're watching the real thing. Hmm. So again, it's like a great, it's a great, it's like kind of the perfect dramatization of this really important moment in history too. So okay, yeah, all right, all right, all mm-hmm. right. You've yeah. convinced <laughs> and, me. You've convinced me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say and, uh, yes to know <laughs> yeah and also like uh like selma um gail barcia bernal is playing a chilean even though he's mexican <laughs> and uh martin luther king is is an american played by danny aiello a british man Yeah, so, there you go <laughs> so we kind of transcend we transcend nationality you know <laughs> to depict these these uh, seminal moments in history so so, again, great film. Highly recommend it. And I'm glad, I'm glad I convinced you. I, I don't know. Again, I've, I will warn that it, it is an art film. Okay. Yeah. So Wait, an yeah, art yeah, film yeah, filmed you do it on to... VHS? I don't know if that squares. Just... <laughs> that doesn't seem right to me. Yes. And you do have to read, John. I, I apologize unless you want to find the dubbed version somewhere. I'm not. No. <laughs> Actually, there was once we like, were watching something on Netflix and we wanted to just check it out. And Mm -hmm. it was completely dubbed. It's like some kind of Brazilian show that was dubbed. I don't even remember what it was called. And you can't get into it. Like, oh, how really? are you supposed to take it seriously when, like, ADR is just, like, so poorly done? That's true. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we laugh at, laugh at those old Godzilla movies that were dubbed. <laughs> exactly, <know>? yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, again, we talked about Fitzcarraldo for this podcast, and, like, that was a big demerit for the movie is because I watched the English version, and, again, the whole mm-hmm. thing is completely ADR'd. Well, no, the movie's in English. It's just badly ADR'd. <laughs> okay. <the> issue. <laughs> yeah, all right. Fair enough. Actually, and something else for you, John, mm-hmm. you love the movie Jackie, right? I do love the movie Jackie. Jackie was a very good. And film. turns out this is the same guy who directed it. <gasps> that's right. Pablo Lorraine, yep. Yes, that's where I was trying to, I was racking my brain trying to remember because I knew he was, I knew the director of No was notable, but I couldn't remember what he was famous for.
0: I kept thinking Pablo of that. Pablo Lorraine. Yeah, and, yeah,
1: I was yeah. trying to think of that French one who did Rubber and Bad Cop or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, mm-hmm. off topic. What? All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. We're, we're all over the place on this podcast. I know. Yeah, we are. We're so distracted. Uh, but this week, I have a recommendation for you. Okay, Greg, Netflix is terrible. We all know that. Whoa, 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 I I don't. I didn't know the worm had turned so quickly. Yes, it did. The internet is a really unforgiving place. Again, it'll turn on you like like that. Just like that. Just like it'll turn on us for all our horrible racist jokes we did earlier. Anyway. <laughs> Netflix is trying to do a lot more exclusive original content, and most of it's bad. Uh, okay. And also, as a consequence of this, they're letting a lot of their older shows that they don't own kind of expire. And okay. this week, they decided to let all six seasons of one of my favorite television's programs expire, and now you can only catch it exclusively on Hulu. Greg, do you know what show I'm referring to? I have a guess. It's the show I started rewatching and I'm falling in love with all over again. Can you guess, Greg? I'm guessing it stars uh, Joel McHale. No. And Jillian Jacobs. I no? already okay. I already gave that a recommendation weeks ago. Okay, never mind. All right, never mind. Uh, all right, I'm at a loss. Six seasons. <laughs> Impossible movie. Uh, I don't know, John. Put it, lay it on me. I am rewatching all six seasons of Lost. Oh, <laughs> <That's a> boy. <laughs> See, and that's is, <laughs> is it it's more that, it more satisfying no, now that you know it will wind up nowhere. <laughs> see, that's it's that kind of attitude which is why I need to recommend it. And people okay. need to revisit it, okay? <laughs> Cuz a bunch of you negative nancies who are like, "Oh, well the answers don't get satisfying in a like look. Now you can look at it as a whole." And you can appreciate all the clues for what they really were, which is just Easter eggs. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that makes it a more rewarding show. And you can get more invested in the characters and their journeys. Okay, isn't it really about the journey, not the destination? John, what is that journey for? for uh, if we have any thirteen-year-olds in our listenership <laughs> who don't know what Lost is, Lost is uh, a show about a plane crash, Oceanic Flight Eight Fifteen, crash lands on a deserted island. Oh, how did John? How did John know that off the top of the head? Off the, off the top of his head? It may have been because he's he's visited thousands of wikis in his <laughs> in his youth, trying to absorb every theory that the fans of the show had. Yes. But now that there's some distance, you can have some perspective and you can enjoy it as a whole and see what a magical, wonderful show it is. Full of drama and heart and just strong characters. Yeah, I will say... It's genuinely historic because it's pro- it probably has led to the TV landscape that we have now. Oh, of course. Besides, maybe the, the serialized drama, yeah. increased production value. Like people don't people forget that like TV shows used to look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And one of the things that you know I'm watching it with my fiance, and one of the things I pointed out is like mm-hmm. one of the downfalls of Lost was this was before nowadays everyone just does ten to eight episode seasons. Lost was forced to fill a season with 24 episodes. It was trying to do a serialized story with no end date and had 24 episodes to fill a season. And then people were like, well, you're not answering enough questions. You're just kind of like spinning your wheels. <laughs> and it's like, how could they not? <laughs> and I, and actually, you're right. That's probably completely unfair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not only having to fill 24 hours a season, but also answer every question. Whereas now, like let's take a show like Westworld. Mm-hmm like obviously now every everybody's still like oh you know the all the crumbs they left like ooh they absorbed themselves but now they can justify I be like well you know they're fine in leaving things a little ambiguous or mysterious <laughs> that is very true whereas nobody gave loss that credence when when the first came out nobody everybody said you better wrap this up as tight as a bow <laughs> Damon Lindelof, who went on to kind of mm-hmm. do another TV show called The Leftovers, which a lot of critics praised, I could never get into it. But again, like, mm-hmm. that was the big kind of, like, praise that that show got is the fact that we never got any answers. And it's like, wow, life is just so mysterious, isn't it? And it's like, that's yeah, a, that's wh- about a huge, that, that like, loss is about a huge inciting incident. In yeah. this case, half the world disappeared, well, not half, but mm-hmm. a few people, like, mysteriously disappearing, like, seemingly raptured. And with loss, it's a it's a plane crash and people having to survive with, like, you know, kind of. Magical realism and a few other, you know, <laughs> yeah, sci-fi touches. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, like, it's trying to go off this theme of like, is, are we here for a reason? Does life just happen by coincidence or is there a greater destiny to it all? And that's exactly what loss is about, too. But the problem is everyone got down to the weeds, like, what do the numbers mean? Why are there so many polar bears? And again, they just kind of, like, missed the forest from the trees. The leaves from the jungle, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> or the the polar landscape from the 1970s uh, storyline. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, I gotta say, I, I've, I was hugely absorbed in that first season, because also, like, how influential it was. It kind of, like where it's like a novel in that episode would focus on a particular character, but we'd also flash back to their life, you know, before this plane crash. Mm -hmm. Which, again, I complained about a few weeks ago, like how overused that trope is now. But the other interesting thing is that they would also explore that a little bit more in this show, because they do kind of flutz around with the timeline a little bit. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to lie. It does get a little (laughs) campy when time travel enters the picture. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert, time travel enters the picture. Uh, But it's also kind of... I can kind of see where they justified it because so many of the quote unquote mysteries are what happened here? When did this happen? Like so much of it is wrapped up in the history of the island. It's like, how do you make that compelling without just making it seem like an exposition dump? You need to have like characters actually experiencing it in real time for there to be dramatic stakes. Yeah. And I guess a huge advantage that the show had is that they had 24 hours to do it sort Mm -hmm. of. Yeah. Whereas, you know, other, (laughs) I guess you could say some cable dramas are limited to, you know, 10 episodes a season, and I, I don't know, seven seasons. I, again, I don't know why an American production company would want to limit the uh, potential of their show, but, you know, here we are. Yep. So, highly influential show. Still mm-hmm. entertaining to this day. I say yeah. check it out. I just, just watch the first season. This episode is not sponsored by Hulu. No, not. It's just Hulu is currently yeah, in my it, good it, it, graces, unlike Netflix. Yes. Wasting mm-hmm. my time with Bright. Oh, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> If anything, we're anti-sponsored by Netflix. Again, again, the tide is completely turned on Netflix. Yeah. Shut it down. Boy, hashtag boycott Netflix. Hashtag delete Netflix. Yeah. We're going to start okay. a movement, guys. Just Absolutely. the two of us. <laughs> yeah, That's how But, John, do. where would that movement start? <laughs> well, it would probably start on social media. It's a plus segue. Yes. <laughs> High five. <laughs> you know where you can get your hashtags? Why don't you check out this little thing called Twitter? That's where we're at. Oh, yeah. At snobs. Mm-hmm. And then, if you're feeling cagey why don't you just stop on over to Facebook and like our Facebook page, the Aspiring Snops Facebook page. Boom. And if you're feeling really verklempt, <laughs> why don't you reach out to us personally mm-hmm. at one 900 8 at our email address aspiring at gmail.com shoot us a recommendation maybe there's something you want us to talk about or you have your film thoughts on lost or soma or <laughs> the chilean movie no i mean we read literally every single email we get because there's yes. really not that many i do no, I, I i go through the spam i want to make sure i'm not missing any any uh, <laughs> money offers okay <laughs> we did get this very nice comment from this nigerian prince well, John, the the, the, the the I don't know if you knew this, the check cleared. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm really glad we could help out Prince Ubuntu. I mean, he's out of prison now. We're three grand richer. This is brilliant. Oh, this is awesome. We don't even yeah. need to do this well, podcast anymore. I know. What should we spend the money on? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should spend it on next week's episode. <laughs> Boom. Oh. Uh, okay, B plus segue. Anyway. I just... <laughs> What is next week's episode, John? Next week we'll be discussing the movie Z. Oh yes, another little uh, political thriller. <laughs> Actually also a perfect segue into no talking about uh well it has to more ambiguously talk about a uh, military dictatorship. <laughs> oh okay. In a in a land outside of the United States. Again, we don't ha- we don't have these problems in the USA, clearly. <laughs> No, we're, we're, what's in the past is in the past. <laughs> we're kind of going political this month because uh, we're approaching one year of surviving Donald Trump. So, <laughs> John, you talk you talk about it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> no, he's a very stable genius. Obviously, and he's a stable. I know. Uh, he's he's finally brought some stability to the Oval Office. I mean, <laughs> he's a stable genius because stable geniuses always talk about how stable they are. And there's Haven't no collusion felt- because that's what innocent people say. <laughs> yes. Haven't you felt the stock market, John? The stock market hit record highs. I mean, everybody's overjoyed. Can't you feel it? I know the economy's doing gangbusters, and I feel it every day. <laughs> Those tax credits are coming back to me, baby. Exactly. Oh, again, more money, more money for us to, with the with the Nigerian prince and the tax yep. cuts. God, I just I'm so sick of winning. I'm winning too much. Come on, John. We're not. We're not. Uh, we're not Pod Save America. <laughs> Or the daily, or I don't, anyway, we're not becoming a political podcast. We have enough of those. Okay, fair enough. Instead, we're becoming a classic movies podcast. That's what the people want. <laughs> yes, there's not enough podcasts that talk about movies. So again, if if you do subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a, give us a rating. And more people will find us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't have to. Again, we've been inundated by all these political podcasts. Let's cast them aside. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's let's have some fun, escapist fare which is obviously Absolutely. what we have not presented you here, but maybe next week. I don't know. Yeah. Just stay tuned. We'll, we'll do better. We'll do better. God, just don't leave. <laughs> I'm, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring.